Have you ever been mistaken for somebody else? By a stranger, maybe on the street, or at work or on the subway. They call out to you with someone else's name. Hey, Alan. And you look and you say, Oh, sorry, that's not me. And then they say something like, Oh, sorry, you look just like them. And sometimes, if they're in a good mood, they might even add with a smile, Are you sure you're not related? And then you say no, and off you both go. But today's story is about what happens when the experience that I just described keeps happening again and again. And then another coincidence leads you down a long and winding path filled with every emotion you can imagine until you discover at the end of it that yes, in fact, you are related to that person. In fact, that person is your sibling and you should have come home from the hospital with their mother and grown up as a member of that family. Only you didn't. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Lindsay Jones is a freelance journalist. She writes for The Globe and Mail, for The Narwhal, for Vice, and this incredible story for The Atavist. Hello, Lindsay. Hi there. Why don't you just start by telling me uh, how the heck did you get put on to this story and, and how did you get so deep into it? Well, I read, I first read about these two men who realized they had been switched at birth on the CBC's website. I, I read this story and I was just like, wow, this is, this is incredible. And I want to, left me wanting to know so much more about, I'd never heard of cottage hospitals before. I wanted to know what they were like, the type of people that worked there, how something like this could have happened. Uh, and, and I really wanted to know more about how these men's lives were impacted. I felt like the, the story just scratched the surface of that. So I read it and then I put it in the back of my mind for a while. I was working on other things. And, and then, uh, I got an email one day from the editor of The Atavist, and this was on the heels of a story that I wrote for the Walrus magazine on a cold murder case. And I'd worked on that story for a couple of years. And after that piece came out, she wrote to me and said, say where Darby is the editor-in-chief at The Atavist. And she wrote to me and said, hey, I love your work. And, you know, if you want to pitch us, here's what we're looking for. And it wasn't to me personally, it was to, you know, probably hundreds of people. Uh, But I I thought right away of this story, the switched at birth story in response to that email. Why don't we begin then, because you mentioned it, um, with cottage hospitals and just, you know, the the area uh, and the time that this story begins. Tell me about Come By Chance. So Come By Chance is this tiny little place. It's a outport community in rural Newfoundland. And its population back in 1962, I think, was about 150 people. It was a really small place, but it had a, a railway station. And so there were daily trips back and forth on the train to St. John's. So it wasn't quite as isolated as as some of the other cottage hospital locations. And it was so close to many other 
outports. So as the story explains, there were were two opposing bays uh, on either side of it. And so the hospital drew from all those communities tucked into the shoreline and the bluffs all around uh, the different bays, Trinity Bay and um, Fortune Bay. Everybody came from those places to seek health care, and these cottage hospitals were the new dawn of health care in Newfoundland. It was um, the first time that people had access to uh, the first ones opened in 1936, and it was the first time people had access to doctors and nurses for health care in many of these small communities. Like in the bigger centers, of course, people did. I want to ask you about where this story comes from and, and how we get into what happened before the bigger picture. So maybe, I guess, tell me about Rita's experience and her son, Clarence. What what happened to them? So Rita, at age 20, was um, a girl living in a, in a small Oakport community called St. Bernard's. And it's on Fortune Bay. And she was, um, she'd had her first baby uh, outside of marriage. And that was just not done at this time. And it was a Catholic community, this small port St. Bernard's. And so the priest came and took the baby away from her. She was living with her brother. Her parents had passed away. They took the baby out of her arms and, and, and the baby was given to her aunt and uncle to raise in the same community. And so Rita then got pregnant again um, with the baby's father and with that baby's father. And his name was Chess Hines. And uh, so they had their second baby and they married the same day. This next baby, a son named Stephen, was born. And tragically, that baby died. And and so by the third time Rita's pregnant and ready to give birth, she's she's coming to the cottage hospital, and and then this is where her and Clara's life begin. And so she gives birth at the cottage hospital to Clara on December seventh, nineteen sixty two, at the hospital. And the baby at that time, babies were kept in a separate part of the hospital from the mother in a nursery and the mothers relaxed and rested in the women's ward. And so you'd only see your baby when the nurse brought the baby into you. You didn't even necessarily get to have your baby um, in your arms as soon as it was born. And then from there, she brought him home to her small little fishing town, St. Bernard's, and Clar was was her firstborn in many ways. He was the eldest, and he became the one that many people in the family relied on over the years. And and Clar and Rita had a very strong bond. And when he turned seventeen, he went away to work on the Canadian Pacific Railway. And Rita was just beside herself. She cried for days, you know, hoping and praying that he would be safe. And she kept all of his letters. And then he'd come home. He'd come back to the community now and then. And during one of those trips when he was home, he met his future wife, Cheryl, at a motel bar in a town called Mary's Town. So it was a little more cosmopolitan than the Oatport communities that surrounded it. So he and Cheryl fell in love. They got married. And Rita 
got sick quite young. She was diagnosed with late stage ovarian cancer um, at age 50, and she didn't have much longer after that. And Clark really took care of her. He nursed her as a mother would a baby, rocking her, feeding her, spending every moment with her that he possibly could at the end of her life. And then his father also passed away not long after. And so Clark was, uh, he, he was a welding foreman, and that's what he trained to become. And so he worked job to job, like welding foreman, um, they get contracts for couple of years and there's always a cons- new construction project to be hired on and so Clark was didn't work at the same place his whole life and so he was working at Bull Arm which was the um a major fabrication site for the oil and gas industry in 2014 and so he he was there just happened to be at the same workplace as another man named Craig just happened to also be working. Craig is from Hillview, so that's a Protestant community on an opposite uh, side of Newfoundland. Uh, and it, come by chances, is about halfway between the two places. And so Craig was the sixth child um, to be born into the Avery family. So the parents were Mildred and Donald Avery, and they lived in Hillview. And so Craig also had a job at Bull Arm. He was in charge of the tool crib, which is the place people come to sign out tools for the construction site. And the two knew each other just from seeing each other saying hi, uh, just as, you know, coworkers do. People in Newfoundland are also extremely friendly. And one day, it was Craig's wife, Tracy. She was on her way to clean Clara's office. She's a, a cleaner, a custodian at Bullarm, or she was a custodian at Bullarm. And so she was on the way to into his office and and she sang out to another coworker in the hallway, it's Craig's birthday today. And and then Clara overheard that and he thought, oh, it's my birthday too. And Tracy was like, oh, okay, you know, like, how old are you? And and then, you know, they, they got to talking and they realized that they're both men were born at Come By Chance Hospital on the same day. And Tracy, something, you know, clicked for her because they had already noticed how there was a man, which was Clara, working at the site that looked so much like Craig's brother, Clifford. And also they had noticed that he looked like Mildred Avery as well. And so in that moment, no one really knew, but I, I guess it started, people started to think about the possibility of it. And Clark blocked it out, I would say. He, you know, just dismissed it, didn't even think any further uh, about it. Uh, and Tracy, she dropped her mop and her, left her cart behind and went running back to the tool crib. And she told Craig uh, what she discovered. And the two of them were just, you know, like, uh, it occupied their minds. They were shocked. They went home. That's all they talked about for the next few days about, you know, could this be possible? How did they go about um, trying to figure out what really happened or 
if this switch had really occurred? Well, they wanted to tell Craig's siblings what what their what they had discovered, but they wanted to show some pictures first because it was family likeness that really brought this to the surface. They took some pictures surreptitiously at work of Clara one day, and they sent them to the brothers and and Craig's one sister in his family, and and most of them live around Hillview still and so, and they just couldn't believe it and one of them Clifford the one who looked so much like Clara offered to do a DNA test and Craig's thought back to all those times his mother would say to him you know I don't know where I got you um maybe in a joking way she would say that because he was this rough and tumble kid who was always up to something and he was stubborn and sassy and his brothers and sister were more quiet and and they were low-key and so Craig thought back to that moment as well and he thought you know maybe there's something there maybe maybe I was switched at birth at come by chance cottage hospital what did he do when that thought uh started to take over his mind and and did he talk to Clar at all about this and and you know push him to to try to figure out what happened too? He did. He he brought it up. I mean it, it Newfoundland is so tight and everybody a lot of people know each other and so it was it was what people were talking about at work. It was just like this buzz going around and everybody was mentioning it. Do you think it's true? And and you know that that talk started to really needle Clar and it to the point where, you know, by the time Craig came to him and said, you know, we should do this DNA test, he pretty much snapped and was like, and he is the nicest, kindest, lowest key guy. And I can't ever picture him snapping, but he was like, you know, I just, I I don't want to hear about it or talk about it anymore. And so he wanted to put it out of his mind and just move on. He didn't want to know. And he didn't, he thought it was preposterous. And the women in his family did as well. His wife, his sisters, like all of them, you know, they just were, they thought it was crazy. Oh, for sure. But had there been any um, signs, you know, now that Clara and Craig were starting to think about it? Because um, you said it's a really small community, you know, signs in the past that like, this is weird. Yeah, well, I Clara told me that he thought back to a few times in his life, in his 30s, where he was mistaken for Clifford and people would call, someone called out to him in a toy store once. And then somebody also came up to him at work and started talking to him as if he was Clifford. And he had to be like, I'm, you know, I'm not that person. And I don't know who you're talking about. And so, you know, when, when, when Tracy discovered at work that they shared the same birthday you know, it did pique something in Clar's mind about those past experiences because he didn't know Clifford, but he knew he'd heard the name Avery right then from because it's Tracy's Tracy Avery and um and Craig Avery's birthday. And so the the, the people who connected with him in the past had, had said, you know, Cliff Avery or I grew up next to the Averys and um, and so, you know, it's something did pique his interest a little bit there, but he just put it out of his mind. Well, and as this became one of the talks of the town, I guess, um, 
how did the dawning realization that maybe this was really true impact each of these men? Because I imagine something like that would be profound. Yeah, it is incredibly profound for both men. I mean, it's it's hard to even describe the depths of of what they've gone through. But Clar has has been dealt the biggest blow, I would say, um, in terms of his mental health. So he he put this out of his mind that this was even a possibility and. It wasn't until some of Craig's family members just they they wanted to meet him, they wanted to see him, and they came to see him one night. He he's just so kind and and welcoming and he had them into his place and they they had a, a great talk. And then after that, I guess he he wasn't able to really be in denial anymore and he just fell into this very deep depression. And for this strong, capable man who did so much for his family and his extended family and his, he worked so hard every day of his life, he's, he's out doing everything for everybody else. And he just collapsed and he just couldn't function. And it took over a year. It, it was over a year. He didn't work. He didn't he take the next job that came up, the next contract. And he really leaned on his family. And luckily he has this, you know, beautiful, big, strong family that did everything that took him on in his time of need and made sure he ended up getting help. When did he come out of that? And when, I guess, when and how did the two men finally confirm this? So the two men confirmed it uh, when... Clarve got on some antidepressants. He'd been diagnosed with clinical depression and he started to get back to being his old self again. And he realized that he he had to know. In the Avery family, there'd been some mental illness. And Clifford, um, this is a really sad part of the story. Um, Clifford never got to meet Clar, so the the man who looked so much like him, who could be his his identical twin, he he took his own life. Um, he'd been quietly suffering from depression. He'd had a child who who died, um, a boy at the age of eight, and he desperately wanted to meet his new brother, and he and he didn't get a chance to. And so Clar knew that, and he knew that he'd been facing this deep depression. And he had never understood what could possibly drive someone to suicide until he was in it himself. And real, and, and he'd said things to his family like, you'd be better off without me. His wife was hiding the, the car keys every night. Um, she hid all the medications in the house as well. Like people were fearful that he might take his own life. So it was pretty, you know, serious, upsetting time for everyone that was close to him. And so he decided that I need to find out for my own health, for the sake of my children and my family, if I'm, you know, an Avery or a Heinz and, you know, whether I I might also be more susceptible to um, having a mental illness. And so he took the DNA test. He took the DNA test, yep. And so he had a copy of Clifford's and he compared it when he got his own back. He compared the two. 
and it, it showed that they were full-blood brothers. What happened after that to the two families? Craig knew that he he was not the blood brother of the brothers he grew up with. He'd already had that realization through doing DNA tests in there among he and Clifford. And but it's still, you know, it 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 everyone everyone knew it was real now. It wasn't just a possibility or it wasn't just we think this happened or this likely happened or it was like this is for real now and so the men, um, they reached out to a lawyer. They they wanted acknowledgement that this happened. And they, it's, nothing can bring back, you know, what was lost. But they would like to have somebody take some responsibility, some acknowledgement for what happened. And so, yeah, they launched a civil suit. The story of these two men is fascinating and Thank you so much for telling it to us. But before I let you go, um, tell me about what happened after that little CBC story that you mentioned off the top kind of came to light. After the CBC story, people started reaching out to Craig's wife, Tracy Avery, about other mix-ups that happened at the Come By Chance Hospital. And you know, one of those people I I connected with for the story and I went to visit them and they shared just a harrowing account of bringing home the wrong baby to their little cove from the hospital and and then having to take it back. And the, the period of time of not knowing had our baby been given to someone else and what happened to it and is he safe and 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 so we find out that this happened four months before Craig and Clara were switched. And so the hospital knew about it. They knew this was a possibility. It was a mistake that happened. And still, Craig and Clara managed to be mixed up. And then there were other cases as well um, that filtered down through the grapevine and that came through to Tracy. And then she and I and Craig worked really hard to, to find more as well, like follow up on rumors or, or things that we'd heard other reports, um, to, to gather as many cases as possible, just to get a sense of, you know, what the scene was like at the hospital, how things were run. And I mean, we find out, you know, there are multiple other cases and those are just the ones we know about. I mean, some people maybe not able to recall now, or perhaps they've passed away. And Come By Chance is also just one cottage hospital. And if it happened at one, it's possible it could have happened at others. Well, the one thing that I was left with after hearing all those reports that Tracy heard and that you guys kind of chased around is the laws of probability, um, given the stuff that you heard. And to your point, Come By Chance is just one of them, mean that there are probably other Clars and Craigs out there, right? Who just haven't realized it yet? There are definitely other Craigs and Clars out there, in my opinion. There has to be. Lindsay, thank you so much for telling us this story. And everybody should go and read it in The Atavist for even more uh, in-depth explanation of how the heck this happened. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. Lindsay Jones, writing for The Atavist. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. 
If you haven't yet, now is your chance to ask us any question you want for an upcoming No Holds Barred Ask Us Anything episode. You can also do that via email, the Big Story Podcast. That's all one word at rci.rogers.com. And in any podcast player you can possibly imagine, you can search for The Big Story, you can subscribe to The Big Story, you can rate us and you can review us only if you have something nice to say. You know what your mother taught you. Claire Broussard, Stephanie Phillips, and Ryan Clark produced this show. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Have a great and safe weekend. We'll talk Monday.